Hi, I'm Adam Ambrosio. I'm the producer and co-writer of No Fear. My name is Jameson Locasio, and I'm the director and co-writer of No Fear. And you're watching the Dark Discussions News Network. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello, welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, a podcast that's part of the Dark Discussions News Network, which is at www.darkdiscussions.com. It's an all-news uh, website, uh, podcast, columns, reviews, um, interviews, you name it, it's there. Uh, so if you like horror news or science fiction news or genre news in general, it should be a place you come to daily because it's updated constantly i am one of your co-hosts philip from the state of new hampshire in the u.s of a and with me in the state of virginia oh you got it wrong oh the commonwealth of <laughs> yes this and who's barrett. that and barrett how's it going man good how you doing good and in the state of missouri not the commonwealth of missouri but the state of missouri this is kevin kevin how's it going man just fine just fine Thanks. Excellent. Uh, so folks who uh, just stumbled upon us, uh, who we are and what we do, we basically uh, review horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, techno thrillers, mysteries, grindhouse, art house, midnight movies, farm films, occult films, drive-in movies, and whatnot. Basically, we try to talk intelligently about a genre that deserves intelligence. Uh, you can find us uh, through uh, Facebook at the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Or just simply the Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. Uh, you also can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com. And you can uh, basically, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, we do have uh, Twitter, Dark Discussion One. Uh, so, yeah, whatever. Uh, but either, either way, uh, we are just one of many podcasts on the news network. Um, now, uh, Barrett, we do have uh, a couple of uh, guests tonight. We do. We do. And, and one's a, a producer slash screenwriter slash composer. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let us know who you are? Hey, my name is uh, Adam Ambrosio. I'm the producer, co-writer, and composer of uh, the movie No Fear. Uh, my name is Jameson Locasio, and I'm co-writer and director of the film No Fear. Now, uh, Jameson, you jumped the gun, man. I was going to say, and we have the director. Now, just busting. <laughs> uh, but either way, uh, thanks, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, yeah, the new film, No Fear, K N O W, uh, Fear. So, No Fear um, just came out. I think it was the twelfth, right? It was or the sixteenth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, but by the way, for folks who are curious, this is March twenty fourth that we were uh, doing this podcast, and uh, once again, the movie came out uh, earlier in the month. Um, so, uh, let's have 
quick pause and we'll play the trailer right now and then we'll get into uh, talking to you guys. Thanks. You want to help us move some boxes? Yeah, sure. It's like it's written in code. Read incantation. Did you hear that? Scratching walls. I heard it in this house. What the hell is going on? Maria Wendy found this book in the basement. Look, the ritual allows you to identify the demon using these abilities. Three senses divided to three people. One person to see the demon, another person to hear the demon, and another to speak the demon's language. I have this terrible feeling like we're being watched. <gasps> I'm hearing things you guys can't. I see something. This whole house gives me the creeps. Right there. You can't possibly believe that any of this is real. Of course I do. Where is Jamie? Vitere. Ah! Audite. Dichere. Okay, so we're back. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's the, the trailer. Uh, so far, uh, before we get into our um, the film itself, you guys uh, offline just uh, told us that the film did really good on opening day. Yeah, um, just to get into that, yeah, we're very excited to say that the film's already been watched by somewhere in the ballpark. We don't know exactly how much, but about 200,000 people that we can almost confirm, and it's probably more than that. Uh, which is amazing in quarantine and with the movie that was made for this type of budget. Uh, so we're really excited. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are really talking about this movie and it's getting great reviews. We actually were very proud of Dread Central gave it four out of five stars, which was unexpected and, and wonderful. And, you know, it's being accepted by people in this community so far. So it's great. Yeah, no, looking at the, uh, the audience, uh, you know, comments, they really enjoyed it. They had a lot of fun with it. You know, there was something that I think, you know, everyone could like about it. So that was really cool. And uh, just especially, you know, just people just staying home and watching a movie and to, you know, for, you know, to see that they're really happy and really enjoyed it just makes us feel really good about it. So we, you know, we're really happy about the way it turned out. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's great that Dread Central uh, gave you uh, the dibs because uh, th they're a pretty, pretty well-known site. And then uh, Film Threat did as well. So, uh yeah, yeah. Got some, uh, good reviews. Yeah, yeah. So, congratulations. Um, yeah. So what? What's? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to read uh, the IMDb here. Uh, so we, you know, a quick summary of what the film is, and then uh, we'll start asking you some questions to get more information. Uh, as folks know, we've already recorded one other episode. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, that episode have already come out, and people have heard that. So now we're going to ask further questions to see, you know, what what 
well, some of the question answers that we didn't have, now maybe we'll get them, and that'll be pretty cool. So uh, this is what the way, uh, IMDb says. It says, after the possession of his wife, Donald Capel and his family activate a dangerous ritual in a book used to identify and banish demons, a ritual forcing each member of the family to communicate with the demon in their own unique way, to see it, to hear it, or to uh, speak to it. So uh, that's uh, pretty much the little synopsis. Um, just to give the, the stars of the film, uh, Amy Carlson, uh, Mallory Bechtel, David Allen Baskey, Maya Davis, Jack DeFalco, Chase Bolnick, David Johnson, Mike Wynn, and Susan Feynman. And that's pretty much it. And then there was a little cameo of a neighbor to uh, Tom Coughlin, which, you know what's funny? When I was watching the film, at the end, during the credits, you said, thank, I thank Tom Coughlin. And I almost said, those giant fan bastards. <laughs> I thought that's who you guys were talking about, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's our friend with the same name. Yeah, He's been yeah, in yeah. features, actually, yeah, about, yeah. in the background somewhere. It's like a trend that we have. Tom Coughlin's always there, evacuating yeah, very various things. Yeah. <laughs> that's too funny. I was, I was kind of glad to find out that it was uh, a different Tom Coughlin. I mean, we're up here... <laughs> Uh, where I live, uh, Coughlin was, was huge anyway because uh, he, he was head coach at BC before he went to you guys. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, we're not fans of him anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hears that all the time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah so so uh, that's pretty much the the crew, uh, or I should say the the cast. Uh, Amy Carlson's actually uh, uh, pr pretty well known, uh, especially. Um, all right, so. Um, before we uh, ask questions, uh, why don't you give your thoughts, your your you know your synopsis of the film and and, and things of that nature? Before it's something that that you want to let the listeners know about prior to us asking you some questions. Yeah, I, I think uh, um, what's cool about No Fear, you know, at least in the way it was, uh, we attempted to execute it, and it seems like the way it's being you know received is we wanted to do something that was old school, that was respectful of the genre. Um, and you know, that went to a more, you know, sort of in a, a simpler time, things like movies like John Carpenter. Um, and, uh, we wanted to play a fun, but scary game with the audience. And we think it's unique really because of that, you know, that split perspective, that three thing, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. So, um, that's why you'd want to watch this movie over, you know, <laughs> something else I guess that's coming yeah. out or maybe instead of watching an old horror movie you could check this out because it's different for that reason so that's all we'd say I guess alright that's cool uh, thanks for, for that little uh, explanation I guess and uh, I would concur it's a really good film so um, people should check it out instead of rewatching the thing you know another <laughs> ten times oh, wow. um, <laughs> well that's a cool idea too <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is it is I'll tell you one thing though I've seen it so many times now that the thing is actually now boring to me just believe it or not. <laughs> that's what happens if you watch something too much um, alright let's go with uh, Barrett Barrett you get some questions I do have a question. So I'm going to start with a non-film related one. How long have you guys worked together? And do you foresee this duo going much further in the future? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. no, we, uh, oh man, how's it been? 12 years? Miles, right? 10 years, 12 years. Oh my God. No, oh, no, really? 20, 2011, 2012, 2012. So about nine, 10 years. Wow. Well, yeah. 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 But, oh my God. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we what caused the collaboration? Um, funny enough, um, Jameson was going to uh, college up in Montclair State, 
And uh, my dad was uh, teaching a course, a couple of courses there, and he was uh, a student of my dad. And my dad, you know, he's worked as a, an agent and a manager. And uh, I guess when Jameson found out, you know, he, you know, he could tell the story probably. Yeah, better, what, but... what happened was is he said he was a film producer, and I was always interested in doing film. And it was like one of these things where I just, I just walked up to him and said like. Hey, you've done films. Could I just take notes on what you have to say about it? And for some reason, he was like, "Yes." So I sat down with him and really nerdy. I really wrote down everything he said, and then he said, "You know what? If you just write a script, you know, and try to do it yourself, then maybe I'll take a look at it and try to help you do it. Not in a money way. I mean, I have to come up with the money, but in terms of just mentoring and advice." So he was great, and he helped me get my first short film off the ground, which was called Midnight Catch. That was done in 2012, and that was uh, very well received by film festivals. And the way that Adam and I started working together is that we asked him to do the music. Um, and he's a very talented uh, musician, uh, and always has been. And uh, you know, it's very hard to find music for indie films. I'll tell you that's probably one of the hardest things, besides maybe I guess actors or financing. So Adam was great, and he came to the uh, to the table with you know his own. Uh, ear for music and his own talent for that, which I know nothing about. So it was great. It was like a match made in heaven kind of deal. So then at that point, you know, we just kept making movies together. And at some point we started working with him as the producer and the composer still, and as the, the co-writer as well. And then there's a whole funny story about how we got into horror, which is like, it's, which is its, its own, you know, yeah, saga. Yeah. Cause you know, we have been doing this for a while now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, besides the 25 shorts, then there was two other features before this one. You know, and a whole journey yeah, with each one of those. Yeah. And they've all had distribution. And even the shorts have been on yeah, no, DirecTV, they, they sold. We sold, AT&T. We sold it all, I think. We sold, yeah, all of them. And most of them have been union. So yeah, very yeah. serious projects over a long time. Nice, nice. Kevin, yeah. what do you got? Uh, well, my first question is, as I was watching the movie, I mean, I have to ask, were you influenced by Hellraiser and the Evil Dead movies? Because, I mean, obviously you got the book that reminds me of the Necronomicon. Yeah. Uh, and then the demon itself, I mean, I've, I've never, I, I'll confess, I've never watched Hellraiser. I've never really, I mean, I've seen, oh, there, there you go. And, yeah. well, let me put it this way, groovy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we appreciate that. Yep, yep. Yeah, and so the thing is, when I looked at, look at the demon, I, I've never really watched any of the Hellraiser movies. I'm not interested in it, but I've seen the pictures. And the, the demon looks like one of the Cenobites. Right. Oh, cool. Because, I mean, look at, especially with the black leather and all that, it's just, and the hood, I mean, it looks like something out of Hellraiser. Thank you. That, well, that's a huge compliment. Yeah. Um, Adam was a huge Hellraiser fan. I should let you I talk am about huge, that. Huge it, well, it is. Hellraiser's in, awesome, one. too. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about no, that? No, yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, uh, definitely inspired by Hellraiser. I think when we first, uh, you know, did this crash course on horror movies. Oh, um, we should even, I don't know if Kevin knows about oh, that. Oh, yeah, so pretty much Jameson wasn't really into horror. Let me just clarify this. He wasn't into horror because, um, I don't know, he just wasn't exposed to it. But we went to the movies to see a horror movie that we're not going to name. And after the movie, he said to me, look, Adam, if this is what horror movies are about, I really don't want to have anything to do with them. And so I kind of like thought to myself, like, wow, if I have to make a career with this guy and he doesn't want to do a horror movie, I'm going to go insane. So I introduced him to the movies that I, uh, I grew up with, which was like 
Halloween. Definitely Hellraiser. Hellraiser, Evil Dead, In the Mouth of Madness, Event Horizon, you name it. All the classic horror movies, even some like 60s, 70s ones. Like hundreds of movies. Yeah. And I hadn't seen any of them. Yeah. And wow. Hellraiser, he liked the first Hellraiser. You liked the first Hellraiser. I had a strange response to Hellraiser. Yeah. But I thought it was... Um, it was different. It was more... It was um, different, and I didn't like it at first, but it grew on me, and I started to see the technical prowess that those people had, and I started yeah. to appreciate that. So when we started designing the demon, that was definitely something that came up. Right. And, and of course, Evil Dead, I mean... For, oh, God, yeah, I, can, I can talk about that for hours. Literally, almost every time I see him watching something, it's either Halloween, Evil Dead, <laughs> or uh, what is it? What else do you got? Oh, man. I, I, yeah. It, I, it's I, either I, those two movies. So, yeah, I mean, Evil Dead really, I guess, Evil Dead struck was something with him. Yeah, yeah we really. definitely were trying to make something that was along the line. Like, I guess in some ways felt like John Carpenter and the simplicity of the direction and, and the execution. Yeah. Maybe had a, like a, something like the 70s films, but also, you know, had the energy of something like Evil Dead, but with the yeah. audience accessibility of something like The Conjuring. So those were like all the different things we were calibrating at the yeah. same time. Um, but yeah, he taught me about all of it. I mean, from the ground up, which is funny. I mean, you probably don't hear about that happening that often with no. filmmakers, but we, yeah. Yeah, no, we definitely picked, you know, some influences from, you know, a little bit of A lot of everything. different places. You know, pretty much all the, the movies we saw, which was probably about like... Oh, it was a lot. 300. It was a lot. Like <laughs> so, so, yeah. So we just uh, did the crash course. And yeah, no, it was definitely Hellraiser, Evil Dead, and uh, yeah. other things. Cool. Now, um, I have a question for you. Um, basically, you... Uh, use the typical suburban um, neighborhood. So similar to like Halloween or, or uh, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street or something. And and you mentioned Halloween as, as somewhat of an influence or at least one of the horror films that you convinced uh, Jameson to, to uh, actually uh, watch and, and he enjoyed a lot. Um, and uh, I was curious if uh, you were intentionally trying to make it uh, a suburban horror film um, versus, say, a sit in the city or, or, you know, Cabin in the Woods, like, like Evil Dead. And if so, uh, or, or if just because it, it happened that way, um, uh, were you trying to make any commentary on uh, suburban life in general, the, the nuclear family, uh, things of that nature that uh, some people may read into this, this movie? Yeah, um, well, it's, it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, but the thing that ultimately, you know, put us on go with that location, I think, yeah, Halloween was a big part of it. Because I think when we saw that neighborhood, we're like, you know, this is kind of like Haddonfield. And there was yeah, a lot yeah. of intentional shooting, you know, with Jamie when she's even when she's walking down the street. Actually, Mia Davis's character hums like she the way that, that yeah. uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character does in Halloween. And, and this is the first time we see or actually one of the first times we see her. So those things were all intentional. Um, and the characters, of course, are named after the actors in Halloween. So, yeah, we, we were we were hugely inspired by that. So that's what kind of made that house work. I think one thing I was afraid of, at least with it, was that they were too close to the neighbors next door. <laughs> yeah. So that was one thing that was a problem, but we kind of figured if we really just honed into the interior of this house, people would eventually let that fall away. Yeah. Um, and we would just, you know, so it was kind of a little bit of all of that and the acceptance of what was there, but also, you know, we liked kind of the Haddonfield vibe. And yeah, that's definitely, I think what's the most, Interesting part about No Fear, if you if you really look at it from 3,000 feet up and you, and you just take away the horror and everything else, what's interesting about it, it's really about a family that's not communicating, that then it has to communicate. Um, so that's one thing that we were really, you know, interested in, and that, that got wrapped into the center of, you know, this genre film. Yeah. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, and and I wouldn't worry about uh, the the neighbors because I mean the way the way you um, filmed it, I, I didn't really notice the, the houses. They seemed fair part. You know, it didn't seem like a city block. Right. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, also, um, like you said, once once uh, everybody's locked in the house and the doors shut, I mean, if if they can't get out. Who says anybody outside can hear what's going on inside anyway, right? Sure. We use the old magic out type of yeah. deal. That's right. <laughs> it <doesn't> work. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> uh, now, Barrett, what do you got? Uh, so how did you get Amy Carlson involved in the film? Uh, yeah, well, we had a, a, an we have an incredible casting director, um, Judy Henderson. And, uh, you know, when we were doing auditions and looking for actors, uh, she wanted to bring in uh, Amy Carlson. And... Uh, she uh, was really just excited about having her. She just couldn't wait till, you know, they, she could schedule a day for her to audition. And she was always talking about her. So we, uh, so finally the day uh, came and she just blew us away. And, and she's, a, she's a, a wonderful woman, really nice, you know, and she, she gave it her all. Yeah, and, you know, actresses of that caliber don't audition. I mean, they no, don't, no, they're, they're really higher. Their name, um, they're offer only, as they call it. So, you know, you don't you don't really get that opportunity. But she actually went out of her way to come in and read it. Yeah. And oh, wow. yeah, she was phenomenal. Yeah. And she and she's not I guess I don't know if she's into horror, but she hasn't really done a horror movie or anything like it. So, yeah. So it was really cool. You and know, she was so. she was friendly with Judy from years past. And, and Judy just said, you should you got to see this this woman. Like yeah. She's and she was well beyond anything we expected. Yeah. Really. I mean, because it's a tough role because you want to put someone very believable in it. Otherwise, the audience isn't hooked. But then you're selling it as, you know, everything that she's got to do in the movie, first of all, which is not a great sell, by the way, for an actress of, her, <laughs> of that caliber. But then also she's not really totally in it the whole time, which is not much of a spoiler to say. So, um, you know, it's it was a weird sell. But yeah, well, it's a familiar yeah. face, too, that would pull you into the, watching the movie because I've seen her in a lot of shows. So, yeah, well, they, I like her in every, everything I've seen her in. So that's, that's a good thing, too. Yeah. She's very sophisticated and classy, and I think in the same way, like you know, a, a Hitchcock lead does, or you know, even Vera Farmiga in the Conjuring series, she brings a class to it that elevates the the concept. Yeah, you definitely. know, you believe her, and you can also get an older audience with her. Yeah, you know, females female audience really responds yeah. to her, and she's not too out. She's not out of touch. Like I, I think all the characters, but Amy, uh, especially, you could relate to her. You know, in, in, in her yeah. character, you know, she's not inaccessible at all. No, not no, at all. No, she was really good, and she really, she really wanted to get everything right. She did. There's so many difficult things, like with you know, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say she gets into a darker space and she's dealing with a possession, and it's very difficult to figure that out on screen with somebody. It really is. Uh, but she did a great job. She did. Yeah. I think my favorite scene in the movie is with her. She's standing behind the window and yeah, screaming, but you can't hear it. Yeah. yeah, the funny part about that shot is we had a lot of trouble getting that shot right, and Amy had just recently done some directing, and she's like, why don't you just move the camera like 25 feet back, and I'm not the kind of director to be like, no, don't say that, I'm the director. I was like, you know what, yeah, try what Amy just said, that sounds great, and she, we actually did it, it was even, it was the angle that I wanted, I just couldn't figure out for some reason, so yeah, that's the kind of, she's a great collaborator that way. Yeah. She really is. She, she just really wanted to be a part of it, which is nice. Yeah, which is nice. And it's not always the case with actors. <laughs> so, no, not when you're going from eight, you know, at night to four in the morning. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kevin, what do you got? Uh, 
trying to think of it. Well, I mean, it, it's more comments, really, because, like, first of all, I mean, yes, I, it was obvious that this was, you know, not like a big, big, big budget, you know, but I would say, and I said this in the episode, that it is a low budget, but it's done right. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. I mean, because I mean, you had the actors that were very good. I mean, that most of the actors are never heard of, seen, and it's like they they obviously knew what they were doing. You know? Yeah, you made the characters likable, which I appreciated. <laughs> uh, you made this movie like I was at the edge of my seat the whole time. This Thank wasn't you. low burn. It, it, it's like I said, and even with the special effects, I mean, yeah, you could have put millions and millions of special effects in there, but you didn't have to. And so I, I just think you, you did this movie right. Thank you. Thank I you mean, very much. I mean, and that's, and so, I mean, with that, and also I have to admit that now that you have an idea of movies and all like horror movies, that's, I almost envy you that you could, you could do essentially what you want. Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you. I mean, I think what it really was is our love for horror movies and just being really inspired by, you know, the journey we went through with it. Yeah. You know what? We just thought to ourselves, you know, they don't have, you know, all the CGI special effects going, yeah. you know, left and right, you know, and, and also they, you know, looking back at them now, you are able to use your imagination and oh, that. Yeah. Definitely, you know, helps with the story, helps with the budget, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, but we're a firm believer in that. You know, we're, we like to do everything ourselves. Jameson edits, I do the, the music, whatever. So we like to be as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just hands-on. Hands-on, productive as possible. And just, you know, bring in a, a, a well-fined, small budget, but with a lot of quality to it. Yeah, and we, we, you know, we were very inspired by the kids that did Evil Dead. I mean, now they're adults, but we were really inspired by that whole story. Yeah. Because, you know, when you got like 10,000 raised and you need to hit a target, you, you, it's sometimes it feels very hopeless, like completely hopeless. And you have to find the strength to be like, you know what? But those guys did it and they had to shoot for like 300 days. Yeah. <laughs> and the girls that did it with them hated them. Yeah. So we'll find a way. And that was like the type of stuff we would tell ourselves. And that really worked though. So, you know, you, you know, it's, it was ultimately a love for what you're doing that keeps you going because like, this is the most unreasonable thing you can imagine doing. It's like, you got to stop your life and be like, okay, time to make a film. You know, we're not going to do a part-time job for 20 days. We're going to figure out how to survive. We're probably not going to get paid. We didn't get paid. No, we didn't. And, and uh, you know, we're going to figure this out. So it's as much fueled by passion as you could possibly imagine. And you have like everything going wrong all the time. Yeah. And it's very frustrating. So to have people just have like that 70, 80 minutes of hopefully fun and they didn't like hate the experience is like, great. Okay, great. We it's did. It. it was worth the years of oh, work, yeah. the yeah, years definitely. of work and lots of pain. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I'm very happy with it. Just to, you know, see those comments and people enjoy it. I mean, it's great. I mean, that's what we do this for. I mean, exactly. Nice. Um, I have a question for you. Uh, when, during our, our discussion in the, in the prior episode, during the review and critique, um, we, we had our discussion um, about uh, the length of time the film takes place, because it appears it only takes place maybe uh, 48 hours, if, or and I think that's that's what we came up with, um, because uh, they move in, um, and then everything's fine, and then then when the first thing happens, when when she opens the book and cuts her her hand, from that point to 
the ending of the film, we figured maybe Ben was, was maybe two nights, three nights at most. Uh, was that the case? And, and if so, uh, was that intentional? So uh, you would, wouldn't have people just think Wendy is, is mentally ill or something. And, and if, they, if it was a longer period that she acted strange, maybe they would have said, okay, we need to get her help. While in a shorter period, um, you could just blow it off as, as, you know, maybe it's just a bad day. I, I think I could say, because as director, you're like intimately involved with obviously the timing of everything and like when is day versus night and like when these cycles of, of days happen, because that's part of the storytelling. But for the audience, it should just flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's three days, because if I'm tracking it properly, it's when they move in. Um, Amy. And then the night when the picture falls, that's day one. Right. Day two is when she wakes up. She doesn't feel too well. And anyway, I guess we shouldn't spoil anything. Oh, yeah. But yeah, when she wakes up, she doesn't. Uh, she sees the thing in the dark. Yeah. Then we go to daytime again. And then it's uh, actually sort of Jamie takes over the movie. It becomes her film. So I think that's a third day that then everything happens on. Yeah. And then it actually goes into the night, which was almost like the next morning. So, yeah, it's yeah. basically three days, yeah. maybe three And nights. I think we, we wanted to do that because when we uh, were doing research for the movie, we looked in this, like, Zoroastrianism, and Jameson found pretty much uh, – you know, uh, a crazy you know, thing. You know, when when a loved one dies or your family dies, you have three days to uh, yeah to pretty much save their soul, and you have to fight for it. And if if you do, then they're able to pass through, you know, into the next world. If not, then they're kind of damned, defended from demons, basically, yeah. is what. It and said. so I think we originally had it in like let's do it in a, a, a three days. Yeah. You know? So um, I'm glad that we actually tracked that still yeah. because it, you know, 40 drafts later, you don't always track the same stuff. No, you no. Know what I mean, and this yeah. movie had legitimately forty drafts, and, and, it, and it really changed. I mean, there changed was a lot. Big changes, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. That's right. That was the original thrust of the concept, yeah. the idea. Nice, uh, Barrett. What do you got? So there's a scene with Jamie where she's out doing her thing, um, her ghost thing, and I'm wondering if there's any connection between that and what happens in the house, because it seems like something actually happens for her. And I, I just was wondering if there is a connection there. That's a good question. I can see that, but... Uh, do you want to answer that? No, yeah, I think you should. Oh. I mean, because I think you probably have more clarity than I do about it. Um, that's a very good point. I, I never see that entity as being outside of the house, uh, which is which is sort of part of it. Um, but you could say that it is. Uh, and I, I think it... it Oh, there's a, there's a stupid answer to this question. I don't want to do it. Uh, I think I think the the well, smartest answer with, I can say is start with that. Could be. Yeah. Could be. I felt like she was being influenced. That's why I'm asking that question. Yeah, that, but yeah, lightly. I want to give you an intelligent answer to it, but I'm not quite sure how. I I feel like uh, it, it's sort of a like a destiny type of thing, you know. And you could read into it a lot of different ways. There's certainly yeah. a lot of situations that happen in the movie that um, are are sort of both connected to the ritual and not. Uh, and we were careful with those, and there's only a few of them. But yeah, I think Jamie's kind of uh, on a path. On, on there's a level of destiny. Yeah, to it. it's like um, I so, think it was you know, to really establish, uh, you know, just be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you know, like she wants to find a ghost. She wants to find something. Well, she found something. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of you know I think it's just you know also that little. You it, know. It's also true to say that the book itself you know deals with you know hundreds of demons and there's hundreds of different things in there that we don't actually see as an audience and Adam and I worked out some other ones quite a few when we had to make the books ourselves you know which we really painfully did but yeah we we kind of figured out like you know this is like a whole world of 
issues that someone could be dealing with just yeah. with the, this book fighting it. Right. Um, and you can succeed using the book or you can fail. You know what I mean? It just depends on how well you communicate and how you figure out the clues. But yeah, I think there's other things out there in the world of the film. That would be the best answer I could give. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, what do you got? Um, you, it, it, you left an opening for a sequel. Do you think <laughs> you won? Because, I mean, think about it. The book survives. I mean, we see at the beginning of the movie, we see what looks like a family going through the same thing. They all die. The book is found <laughs> later on, you know, and then they all die. And I mean, no one's going to look at this book and say, I mean, the thing and the, the, the interesting part of the, the book is, is that, you know, even if you, you know, the guy like puts all of his blood into the thing and then you look at the book and there's like no blood. So it, like it soaks it all in. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and so my whole thought is that you could have, I mean, you could potentially do another one, like with another demon or something like that, or even just the same demon, because technically that one wasn't even vanquished. So, yeah, right. so I mean, um, hang on, Trent, see if I can get the name right. Um, you know, Wendy survives, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, technically. Technically, yes. But my whole thought is that she could come back or, you know, another family can come in because, I mean, part of my, actually, one of the things I was also wondering, and if, if I can ask that one question is, what happens with the woman at the beginning of the movie? The one that's like, take me, take me, and then she ends up killing everybody. Um, whatever happened to her? I mean. Yeah. I, I think yeah. there's a lot of things we could do with it. But it was it's kind of related. I think. Yeah, because we, we discussed during our, our critique, uh, we, we said that she either w was arrested and is in a, an insane asylum or she suicided <laughs> is, is what, what we, we, we guessed. I mean, because, again, again, it's a hypothesis because uh, it's never answered. We just know the new family moves in and uh, we don't even know if they know if a horrible murders happened there prior. And we so and we don't know if the, the last woman standing uh was arrested or suicided and the cops found her too yeah well i think one of the things that i liked so much about what adam does with the score at the end is the hero <laughs> the anti-hero the, the antagonist the villain of the movie really is that book and <laughs> what's so fun about that is the way his score goes it, it has this very strange like middle eastern quality to it and we really took that from like the genesis of the necronomicon and thinking about, like, where did our book come from? So we've often talked about maybe what happens prior to No Fear. You know, what happens prior to this family and where did this book come from before even the family in the beginning got it? Because we feel like there's maybe more traction out of that at this yeah. point. Um, um, because it's interesting and it's come through different time periods. You know, the 70s, whatever, the 50s. It probably had many different storylines to it. No, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're interested in that because that's interesting. And it, actually, one of our good friends, Matt, shout out to him if he hears this, was like, you guys got to do a prequel. And we're like, well, you know, that's actually an interesting idea because, you know, where was this thing prior is actually a little bit more of interest to us than where it was in the present yeah. and where it landed. So we kind of like that, you know, that infinite quality to the book at the at the end yeah. of the movie. It, do it doesn't give the book really an ending. Yeah, you it's know, like the, the same way Michael Myers just, you know, he's yeah, just going you know, on, you know, like you know? he's done this and that, but where is he now? Where is he now? You don't, We don't know. And that was one of the things that he taught me early on, like, you know, if the, the evil has to keep going, 
uh, and it needs to be there permanently, you know, at, at, you know, in this, in, in the way that other movie genres can't do that. This genre does that. And in some ways it's great when it does that. Yeah. So that was one thing, you know, that we always wanted to make part of this film was, you know, this is sort of impenetrable and it'll be here forever. And it's always been here. Yeah. No. Yeah, so yeah. how can you ever compare to it? That kind yeah. of deal. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't even thought of a prequel, but yeah, that's a good idea. Because yeah. Kind of like the whole, I mean, you're going back to evil dead. I mean, we really don't hear much of a story about how the night, I mean, a, a detailed story all they know is it's just it was you know this old book and it kind of just kind of came into being and you know all that sort of thing so it, that's yeah it, it would be a difficult challenge as a, at least from my perspective because you know you work so hard at trying to create the atmosphere of something that i think if you were to take those two characters outside of the realm of it i think you would kill that vibe and then you got to build from scratch so you lost the audience already on that one so my my thought process would be to start from scratch with somebody else um, and then just try to earn them, you know what I mean? As, that's like a really weird, loose and fast way of just explaining like why maybe that would be a challenge for me as a director. But yeah, I mean, I think they're left in like the perfect position. <laughs> it's like everybody knows, like checkmate, you know, boom, okay. I don't know if I want to see her like attack her or anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could, but then, you know, then we got a million dollars and we're wearing gold chains and like, you know, Mallory's flipping in the air and doing kung fu moves. I don't know if that's going to ride. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, it's a different director. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like not going to work out. No. So, you know, we're maybe start, we're steering away from that one, I guess, and thinking, right? I guess I'm saying, yeah, right. we're taking a little bit of a turn. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Interesting in the movie where, I mean, we mentioned it is that, I mean, they didn't, they didn't really do much about the, they didn't try to look at it scientifically because the, the, um, hang on, I'm trying to get the, the girl's name. Um, Jamie and Wendy. J Jamie's the, the niece Jamie, and Wendy's the mom. Jamie, I mean, first thing, Jamie, because Jamie was already into this sort of thing. And so she kind of, well, she saw the book and she instantly recognized, okay, there's something wrong here. And um, and no one said, nah, it's just, she's just got some mental problems. You know, we'll take it, you know, it was like almost it. Like they, they kind of skipped all that. Because usually you get the move, like The Exorcist. Like they went through, okay, you know, this person, uh, yeah, probably crazy. But the thing is, you had, you know, you had Jamie coming in there and said, oh, no, I think she's possessed. And yeah. I, it's funny that nobody argued with it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a different. Tricky, it's tricky with the balance of that. And actually, a lot of people have brought that up. And that's not even yeah. something, it's not that we didn't consider that. We did. Um, but it's funny that people always uh, talk about how, actually, I guess mostly people have liked that we don't get stuck on that. But just to say one piece of it, and then I guess you can go into it. The thing that was the toughest sell with that was Charlie, because Charlie's character is like, you know, screw everybody in the room. I don't, and no matter what's going on, you can just be having a pizza party. Screw everybody in the room. So the trick with him was getting through to him, and we figured out the key to that was Nancy's character because he's interested in her. So that kind of smoothed that character over. And, you know, we just tried to, you know, do different things like that to sort of just get along with the plot because we knew. Yeah. The key was you can only really do one thing at a time in a film, I feel like. And so we wanted to get to, you know, how do they figure out who has what ability? So we were more concerned about that and, you know, yeah. trying to get them to that point. Am I saying that all right? No, yeah. No, and especially as you, what you said about The Exorcist, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's that's a good chunk of time, you know, in the story. <laughs> it and, is. And, you know, it's, it's good watching it for the first couple of times, but then, you know, it's like, all right, I have to – 
bear this, you know, long scene and whatnot. Yeah. In this plot production. We tried to be efficient. I mean, there is a, there is the... a little bit of skepticism. You see it a little bit, but it, they don't dwell on it. You know, yeah, it's, the... it's one of those things where, like, you don't really know what you do in the situation. But if you started to see that much evidence, you probably have to keep questioning, uh, you know. But you have to go along with the objective, you know what I mean? Right. Um, it's a survival, yeah. you know, mentality. Yeah. For example, I mean, you, you mentioned you mentioned Charlie because I remember in the movie Charlie says, yeah, Charlie actually mentions something about you know uh, mental health or something makes a makes a comment like that, but then I think Wendy's just Wendy was already convinced because I think she already looked at the book and she talked with and she realized okay something here is really really creepy and this is not a psychological thing, and the thing is that because she definitely she showed that she knew what she was talking about i think they didn't like look at her as an ultimate authority but they looked at her as someone that is like you know what she's not a crackpot let's at least try her 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 point her her uh, her solution yeah and i think we were also I'll, I'll say this too and this is probably an interesting point that you can really delve into but just as a simplification what what we were able to do in this movie other people couldn't do in the sense that What's cool about The Conjuring, but it, it wouldn't, it's different for us, is that, you know, you can have the scene where the thing's behind, you know, the blanket and the wind, and then maybe this, the forks drop on the ground, and then that starts to become the scares. But then you could say, well, the forks drop because of the wind and the blanket, there's nothing behind the blanket, you're just stupid. But whatever the, whatever the characters say. But in our movie, because they're all sort of hyper-experiencing their own thing, they have to sort of start to believe each other, I think, number one. But also, you know, Ch Charlie's kind of very quickly leveled by this, the, the you know, yeah. the audio element of it. You know, he's he's hearing this thing and he has no choice but to like, you know, mm -hmm. start to deal with it. So I feel like that was afforded yeah. to us, you know, where they couldn't explain it away or be skeptical about it because he's really experiencing it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think you know they're. You know, with all, all the stuff that happens to them, I don't think really science could explain it, you know. Yeah. They're Why? like into over their head before they yeah. realize it's happening, I guess. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is unique maybe to this movie, but it wouldn't work in something where you got to build like this normal, you know, the barn door keeps flying open, Jimmy. Oh, it's just the wind, Johnny. Yeah. No, I'm hearing it in my brain and I can't solve it. What do I do? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I guess scream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was nice about this concept, I guess. Now, um, I have a question for you. Um, uh, like you, you guys said, obviously, obviously, the Evil Dead had, had or that franchise, uh, had some, uh, you, know, you know, you got influence from it. But my question was, is um, in that film, oddly, and, and the Evil Dead 2, which I know, I know um, Jameson, you, you liked a lot, um, they do have a little backstory of where the book came from and whatnot. But mm -hmm. in your film, this book here, uh, whether it's the same book or or just a uh, inspiration, um, was that intentional to leave it unknown how it landed up in this suburb, in this town, in this basement with the original family prior to the credits? And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much yeah, the question, yeah, when I think about it. Yeah, I think uh, definitely. I think just the you know the the just being mysterious with it. I think was a big part. I mean, you see that with Evil Dead, you don't really know where you know who got from who. The uh, same thing with Hellraiser, you don't know how the really yeah. the lament configuration That's true. gets you know transported to have, who gets it and why do they get it? How do they obtain it? You know, I think it's just the 
it, it's kind of the blend of those two in that, uh, you know, it, somebody will seek it, somebody will want it, but then, you know, once, once, you know, they've used it or whatever, it could affect innocent people, you know, someone, you know, innocent come around. It's just like having like a loaded gun on the ground, on the street, you know, some innocent person pick it up and, you know, something bad could happen. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things. It was also another thing that came out of Adam and I seeing a lot of movies like just together and, and with our, with our other friends, you know, it was like, you know, this, like, unfortunately, I guess you see this a lot and it was something we were really trying to steer away from is that what, what kills a lot of the horror in, in, in the, at least in a lot of recent horror movies, I guess we've seen is over explanation. It's like, you know what? The explanation for this is so stupid. Not only am I not frightened about it, but I, I just don't care anymore. And you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. they, like what? You're all there. Like, what is that? That doesn't yeah. make sense. You know? So it's like, it's, it's difficult to balance that. And you got to, you know, you got to give the writers credit for trying to do that and everything else. But We've, we've just found that, like, if you could just not say it, it's just a lot more powerful. It's a lot more mysterious. Yeah. People ask about – see, the thing what's, what's nice about it and what we would hope would happen with this movie, because you don't answer a question, people keep asking the question. Mm -hmm. um, and that's good because even we don't necessarily know it, even though we had to lay out, you know, like a plot. Like, where did the demon come from? We know all that stuff. Um, nobody knows. Nobody else knows all that stuff, and that's hopefully the way we'll keep it. Um, but it's all there. You know, we figured it out secretly. So hopefully, people keep asking that question and talking about it. And you know, yeah. No, I mean that. That's that's how I. You know, uh, Phil, you were talking about watching the thing. You know, ten times in the, in a row. I could do that because it's, it leaves it up to the my imagination to say, all right, who's who at the end, you know, who, all right, who, who got infected first, then, you know, yeah. you know, what happened to the, you know, when the alien, you know, crash landed on the spaceship, what, who, who, what did that alien look like, or what's its true form, or whatever, so that keeps, you know, makes me into a, a, a fanatic of just watching these movies over and over, and I think that's what we wanted to do, we wanted to yeah. leave it up to the imagination of, of people to come back and say, you know what, let, let me, let me process this, let me yeah. try to get something new. I'll figure it out. Out, yeah. Or talk to my friend. Maybe they saw something. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, uh, Barrett. What do you got? So I noticed, or at least it seemed to me that um, when, or yeah, Wendy has all three. Like she can see, she can hear, and she seems to be able to understand parts of the book. But then it gets split out amongst the three later on. Is that significant? Hmm, that's an interesting point. I think uh, I don't know. What you want to answer that one? I, I think you could do it. I mean, uh, I think what we were trying to do is we mainly gave um, we mainly gave Wendy the ability to hear, um, and I think a lot of the other things come from the fact that she's possessed, uh, you know, or she's being animated by something. Uh, and we were pretty careful about that. I think we were consistent enough if you track, you know, what I would consider or what we would consider like, you know, an animation or a possession versus, you know, maybe she's just tapping into the ability. A lot of times she says, I heard something or she actually does literally hear something or she says, I, you know, I saw it I sort of, you know, but we kind of define that in terms of sound um, or she knows that something's there because of that perception of it. So, yeah, I think, um, She's, she's in a version of those abilities, um, but it's a little bit more heightened and it's definitely blurred because this thing is kind of showing her things and, and doing things to her that 
go beyond what those people are doing. And, and in a way, that is what overwhelms and puts her in a catatonic state is all of those things at once. It's just too much for you know her to handle. Um, in some ways, I guess by the end, she's also sort of lucky that she's sort of uh, you know cognizant again. She's able to be sort of normal as far as we can tell. You know, but we don't really know. I think that's the other thing. That's yeah. what I like the ambig- ambiguity of that is that she gets that little smile on her face and you're like, hmm. Yeah, we don't really <laughs> know. You know, there's a lot more to be said there for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So. All right, Kevin. Going back to the last question, because, I mean, we did figure out, we, we did notice that we could hear and see them, uh, especially, I mean, because one of my favorite parts of the movie uh, with, um, <clears throat> Sorry, with uh, with Amy Carlson, Wendy, is that when she is looking over Donald's shoulder yeah. and just the fear in that because it'd be, you know, Barrett talked about the, the screaming from the window. And I thought that was a great scene. But just the look on her face was just incredibly convincing. Oh, yeah. And and then Donald or David, you know, his, his I mean, he just kind of sits there with this. He, he's he's you could tell he's afraid to look back. Yeah, no. he's afraid to look back himself. And then when he looks back and there's nothing, but he's still kind of freaked because obviously he believes his wife. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't think she's crazy. So, I mean, he's scared to death. Um, so that's why I thought that maybe she at least sees and hears him. But I think also, but she was also able to read out of the book because she's going through the book and she's reading it. So it, it almost seemed like she was able to do all three, but maybe because she was maybe more in touch with with this with this with the demonic uh, entities or something i don't know but yeah uh, there's a bit of a blurring of it yeah you know what's fun about that scene i mean um in in the, in the directing of that it's one of those few points in the movie where the camera calls attention to itself and it's it's a nice it's a nice thing for donald's character because we really we we know that this guy's you know he believes in science he doesn't believe in any of this stuff and when she came in to do that, it was like two o'clock in the morning and she knocked that out of the park in like two takes. I, I don't know. I mean, she just wow. came in with that. I mean, you know, that's phenomenal. I mean, I was blown away by that. Um, and I had already, you know, had that specific camera move planned. And the, the key to that was, you know, he's really starting to imagine for the first time that something could really be there. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's really, it's, that's the way the camera, you know, shows it and, and has that moment. So it's one of the few times the camera, like, you know, leaves a dialogue scene or anything like that. Because I don't typically do that as a director. Like we said, we were so so trying to stay on the 70s vibe, like, you know, John Carpenter. And he never does stuff like that. So it was a little bit of a breaking of that rule to try to give um, David, Al- David Allen Bache's character, you know, that moment of what if something really was, you know, actually there. Yeah. And it was even more fun that we could just leave him and go to Jamie. <laughs> but then kind of becomes the de facto protagonist, yeah. I guess you could And you say. do get a view of what's behind him, but it, there's, you know, it's nothing there. It's all out of focus. Yeah, and so. it, it was difficult to get that so corner like show dark. Yeah. It had to be enhanced digitally because we couldn't get it as dark as it needed to be. <laughs> That's another interesting thing about it. Yeah, that, that was definitely an awesome scene as well. It, just the two of them working together was phenomenal. Yeah, they were, they were great. I mean, and uh, it was so late at night and... You know, it was one of those crazy directions you got to give an actor where they're just looking at you funny, like with David Allen Bates. You're just like, just don't, like, don't turn around completely. Don't turn around completely. You know, it's like one of those things where, like, you know, you just sound crazy. You know what I mean? But you're like, no, no, it's going to be great. I trust you. And he's like, I can't move that way. My body doesn't move that way. 
I swear that was the conversations. But anyway, yeah, no, it looks good on screen. The camera, you know, got to where it needed to be and everything else. So there you go. Amy was fantastic. Yeah. Really fantastic. She scared us. <laughs> really did. Yeah, no, she Yeah. She she really put on a performance. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I was going to ask you about Charlie, because uh, we brought him up earlier and, and whatnot. And uh, his character is a young man, uh, maybe um, anywhere between 17 to 25. Uh, I can't tell anymore. But either, either way, he's, he's a bit, um, I guess, you, you, you know, you kind of alluded to the fact that he's like a pain in the ass or something and that he could have gone off rail. But I, I think you set him up earlier in the film where um, the character um get straightened out pretty good when, when he has like a father figure and his uncle in a bit um now I, I, the question i had was you could have wrote the character anyway but you obviously wanted to turn him into maybe a red herring as someone that would go off the rail and maybe um betray the family or, or something I, I, I don't know yeah. but what was that that intent that the, that he was originally written that way yeah what 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 we were going for and it's something it's a vibe that I see a lot in, in characters that I really love. And um, it's something about them just busting chops, but also, and, and sometimes it can be done comedically and it's, it's very fun. Um, and uh, a lot of times Bogart plays characters like that. that are very funny and just, he's just busts people's chops for no reason. And it's hysterical. You just watch him do it. But we wanted somebody that had a dangerous quality to them that even the audience would be guessing about, you know, like what would they do in this situation? And that was really key to Charlie. And I, I think Adam had turned me on to some uh, music. It's uh, Jericho's uh, uh, music. No, Fozzie. Fozzie, that's right. And we were listening to some of that. And I think I was just driving home. And for some reason, I just said, you know, like that character, like I, I see who like that character is now. You know, we just talked about that extensively, about having somebody who was a little dangerous, like sort of in the same way. There's always a, like a character in the Kurosawa films, Akira Kurosawa's work, where he just is such a loose cannon. You don't know what that dude's going to do. And your eye is always drawn to that guy, no matter what. He's usually played by uh, Mufun, who's a great, great actor, uh, like Seven Samurai. You don't know what that guy's going to do. Um, so it seemed like a necessary part of a group of people. You needed somebody who was a loose cannon, but we didn't want him to be unlikable. We just wanted him to be semi-unpredictable, I guess, yeah. in a way. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 definitely. Well, yeah, he definitely wasn't unlikable, I mean, nobody here was unlikable. So, I mean, so when something happened to him, like the drool in the shoulder, or when Nancy stabs or something, you're like, no, 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 you know. That's great. Yeah, that's what we're hoping yeah. for, you know. No. You know, I mean, obviously we hurt with them because, I mean, we don't know what it's like to drill yourself in the shoulder, but, I mean, we know it's got to be painful. But <laughs> yeah. we feel it's like we, we had the, we, we felt, you know, felt their pain, but we're also hurting because we like them and we don't want them to hurt yeah you know which which helped you know like i said that the characters were all very likable i mean yeah and, you know and it's and i also found it um funny that it, it's almost like when um <clears throat> sorry when when charlie gets the leather jacket he it's all you know you have the black leather jacket has the look of the rebel but when he gets a black leather jacket he kind of goes away from the rebel because it has meaning to him and he's starting to connect with donald and he it's like you you wonder if he's going to be a jerk but then all of a sudden he becomes a nice guy 
by giving him something that's kind of a symbol of a, of a rebellion. I, I just thought that was rather ironic. Thank you. Yeah, I, I uh, well, the fun, there's two funny things about that scene, I think. What's what's funny about the, uh, and this is just a little bit of fate or whatever you want to call it, but that pale blue dot speech, and I think we had talked about this before, but that pale blue dot speech was actually given to me by a dude at, at, a, at a part-time job that Adam and I were working at, and he was just a science teacher who was like a really nice freaking guy, and he came out of nowhere, and he was with his wife, and they were, you know, we were, I was teaching him how to throw axes, and there was a blue dot on the target, and he just told me about that story. He's like, do you, do you know about the pale blue dot? And he gave that speech, like, almost 100%, except, you know, the part about the, you know, dying loved one, I guess. Yeah. But it was, I didn't appreciate it at the minute. I was nice to him, but I didn't appreciate it. And then, like, a week and a half later, we were really trying to develop Donald. And it was one of these things where it's like, you know what? Oh, my God. We've been trying to mix okay. something cosmic because we were so inspired by Lovecraft's work with, you know, the magic of the book and the Evil Dead elements. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, my God, what about a science teacher who's just like this weird dude who was so nice to me and I didn't appreciate it. And he gave me this whole speech about the pale blue dot. So the really fun, nerdy thing about it is we just put that straight in the movie exactly as the guy told me it which was really like an incredible thing. But there you go. Yeah. That's taking for your, from your life and putting it into a movie, I guess. But, but yeah, the, I was feeling uh, that Cthulhu-ness from that. Yeah, we're like, trying to go that is that. that cosmic influence on this. Oh, man, because, you know, when you're in a house with no, like you can't show space, you know what I mean? So you got to keep trying to make it cosmic somehow. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge as a director. You don't know how you're going to do it. So you got to try to work it in. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing is, I guess, we, we took that Carl saying, you know, speech and that whole written part that he does and you'll notice this, so it's not much of a giveaway to say it, that when Wendy's in the window, she's talking about endless cruelties, which is a line from the Pale Blue Dot speech. And there are several characters who allude to the Pale Blue Dot concept throughout the movie, including Donald himself. Um, and actually, I think his last line is, is about darkness, which yeah. is from that as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we just worked that in. But that was like a really lucky, like, just recognizing, you know, when you have something yeah. that's right piece. just yeah. God-given thing that's like, you know what, this is what this movie needs. And it wound up being a scene that everybody responds to. Yeah. People like it, I guess, because you wouldn't normally do that in a horror film. Well, it's interesting. To me, it sounded rather nihilistic. Yeah. Well, that that's the fun thing about it is as the time goes on, it, there's something about it that becomes darker. And your perception of it changes even further still. So his last line on it was actually sort of like an unknown um, kind of, I guess, brilliance to it was, wow, if you just end on that line, that's like there's nothing hopeful about that anymore. There's something very scary about it. And he really ends on the worst part of it, which is like the endless darkness. So that felt Lovecraft, that felt cosmic, but it also spoke to their characters. So it was just a culmination of all those things. And we just said, let's do it. Um, and David delivered that very well. Yeah. So that I think actually well. for his audition, we uh, we gave him those. Uh... Yeah, he he did the pale blue dot speech for us. And another interesting thing about David was that he had lost a loved one young in his life, and he had related extensively to the character of Charlie. So when he came in, I mean, he was phenomenal. I mean, he basically gave us what he gave us on screen in the audition room, and we had seen like a lot of people prior to that. Mm -hmm. So we were just blown away by this guy. I mean, he knew exactly what to do with the language. Yeah. Um, you know, and he was likable. We pictured someone much dorkier for, for Donald. Yeah, originally we did. Uh, you know, but then we saw, we saw this, you know, good-looking leading man type guy come in who Judy loved, you know, also mm -hmm. and was friendly with him. 
And we said, you know, this guy's just too good. We got it. We got to cast him instead of going that nerdier with somebody else. Yeah, no, it worked out. He was just too good at it. No, that, that was a good, good uh, change because um, he he kind of um, is a mirror opposite of Jamie, who's kind of nerdy, and and then he's not, you know, and 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 so for the two siblings, I, I thought that worked out well, and, and how they interacted with the 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 uncle and aunt. So yeah, um, Barrett, you got a question? Yeah, so all the actors seem to have a really good rapport now. That was that organic, or did you yeah. have to work at that, or because they they really seem to yeah, fit yeah. together well. Um, it was interesting because, you know, uh, production's different than cast, that's for sure, especially on an 18-day shoot where everybody's there from 7 p.m. till 2 or 3 in the morning, um, you know, and you got to live by SAG rules. So if you don't do it in seven and a half hours a day, then uh, you're screwed, basically. So what's interesting and good about that probably is the cast winds up getting close, not always as close to the director or the producer, but they got very close to each other. Um, and I think when you put people in a crazy situation like that, you know, I think they, they go a little loopy when it gets late at night. But, yeah, they started to get along and they, they liked yeah. each other. And, yeah. you know, I don't – for some reason – and this is a funny part about this movie as well. These people didn't realize we were, like, going all the way 100% into night shooting. I think they thought we were going to black out the windows. <laughs> it was obviously something we didn't want to do because we were looking at the lighting from Evil Dead and Halloween saying, well, those guys have blue lighting through the window. So you can't do that during the day. So we have to do that. No, they were just saying, well, we want to sleep. So, you know, yeah. I, guess, I guess our argument was better, but we, we did it the way we had to do it. Yeah, and yeah. ultimately, I think we were, you know, we benefited from the no. look of it. Right? Yeah, it's art, no sleep. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. We had to drive home, so we felt bad about that part. But yeah. they went to New York, and we shot in Montclair, New Jersey. Yeah. No, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to no, say. No, we about. grinded it out. I think everybody grinded it out. I mean, uh, it was uh, probably at least – it wasn't my uh, favorite uh, shoot to be on, let's just say. No, but uh, but I'm very happy with it, and I and I, I think everybody did a great job. And I think you know if we had to do it again with the same you know reaction as you, that the audience gave us, yeah, we would. Yeah. It's tough because when you're making decisions as a as a director and a producer, you got to realize like half the time you're making unpopular decisions, and it's not that yeah. you're being jerk <laughs> about it. You're just making decisions yeah. that people are going to hate. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully people know what they're signing up for. Sometimes they don't for some reason. But, you know, you got to stick with it. And ultimately, I think people see the quality of the choice, you know, if, uh, when they see the movie. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I, I wanted to go back for a second. Um, when you were talking about the dork, I, I thought you meant that you were going to have Charlie be the dork originally and not the father. Oh. <laughs> um, so, so, so w w let me, let me follow up to what I was, I was uh, referring to, which is, was it intentional to make the Charlie character more outgoing and, and football like versus the, uh, his sister who was more of a dork? Um, did you want that, that polar opposites for the two siblings? Well, for at least for Jamie and uh, Charlie, we took heavily uh, heavy influence from uh, a film called Hocus Pocus with uh, Bette Midler. You know, it's an old Disney movie. Yeah, and I love. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Movie. I yeah. could watch it like a thousand times and I got get tired of it. But yeah, but pretty much we wanted um, that dynamic. That dynamic of, uh, of Max's character trying and, to back uh, on the girl. What's her name? The younger Jamie? sister. Yeah, what's her? In the movie, Danny. Danny. And yeah, Max. Max and, yeah, Max and Danny. So we wanted them to really be like that, where, you know, Danny was like the, the younger sister, you know, who was a little bit more dorky, doesn't know what she's getting herself into. 
And, you know, uh, we wanted to make Charlie like Max, who's just like, you know what, I'm just, I just don't want to really be here. I, I feel like. <laughs> I you know, just I, don't care. Yeah. But there's a pretty girl over there. So let yeah. me try that. I guess. That was a great scene, by the way, when they both meet each other and they are just like almost speechless, yeah. but not quite. So they kind of sound That's a little dorky. But <laughs> Alan Bache played a great comedic moment there where he really picked up on in, in the middle of them, which was great. No. And he's very experienced in comedy. He did a TV land show, like 70 episodes with Donald Faison. And like, so I mean, he was pure comedy on that. So he, he was perfect for that moment, actually, for that. It was, yeah, it was all perfect. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, just broken up with somebody. So kind of had that, you know, I don't know if I would say rebound, but she was deaf, you know, she was like, okay, I just broke up with somebody, but I'm open to dating somebody again and he's i mean at the beginning of the movie i mean he's like trying to talk to all these different girls that he's he's yeah. met heard it's almost like girls online what girl what would you mean girls online i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Did, and it was pretty it, that was a fun i mean that was a fun moment that was a fun, and it was a kind of a nice easy break throughout the whole what's going on what's going on oh hi yeah, yeah. Yeah, they the humanizing that. element, the humanizing yeah. elements that you put into the movie are great. Yeah, th thank you. And I, I think what's nice about Mia Davis, and she so, was such a wonderful person in general, but we, we came in, you know, we, I, I have to admit, I think the Nancy character is probably the least developed. Um, and we, we wanted to get somebody who was special for it. And this girl walked in and her, her, her smile just lit up the room. Everybody yeah. loved her immediately. And she was so funny. And there was something about her. And like, she's the, like the least awkward person in the world, but it was just her timing with everything that was so funny and so charming. And she just had a, she just had a great smile. And, yeah. and we're like, Very you know what? That's Nancy. And I, I have seen now audiences of people be like, why is this girl in the movie? And then 10 seconds later being like, yeah, that's my favorite character. And I, I think some of it has to do with her strange lines about running over her boyfriend or, yeah, or the, the, girl, the girl, whatever, with the car. And But she sells that so well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think that was key, to, like that Charlie just completely falls falls for her yeah. from the minute yeah, yeah. he sees her. Charlie's, you know, he's, he's out hunting and, uh, <laughs> you know, one literally just walks in. Right? Yeah, so. I mean, it makes the chemistry easier if the girl's, you know, super charming, beautiful, and, yeah. you know. Coming out of nowhere, yeah. your age, I guess. Yeah. No, no, the audience really. I mean, we, we oh we yeah, the comments. Some are really inappropriate. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, but they, people love Mia Davis. I mean, yeah, I mean, she, she is. As Jameson says, she had she has such a charm to her that is just like she walks into a room. And you're like, you know, yeah, you, you can't help but love her basically no, yeah. on screen. I mean, she's so uh, likable and 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 there's. There's a great, it's not an easy role for an actress because you're playing off of everybody else responding to something that's happening to them, you know, and that's a really tough ask. And there's a lot of times where she just has nothing, you know, so we would just inject her into the sequences more so. And we're like, oh, you know, that's, that's a thing you realize as a screenwriter. You're like, oh, we failed as screenwriters because Nancy has nothing to do here. So we would give her some lines and like even David gave her a couple line or two from her stuff and then we moved her around. It's tricky to track all of that. And when you have people in a wide and like one person's frightened, but the other person's experiencing nothing, you know, it's <laughs> very funny. So you got to be careful about that. And Mia was really good at selling those things, you know, because a lot of times her part was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. What I are you talking about? She was out of work for a while. Yeah. So that was, that was tricky, yeah. but she did such a great job and, 
you know, people just like that. I think also they like that she got into it, you know, for no reason. Yeah. So they like immediately feel bad for her, I guess, is what, what you know, we were sort of surprised by. Yeah. yeah. So. Right, right, right. Doesn't Jamie even say that to her? Sorry, I got I didn't Yeah, know. yeah. Didn't realize you were here. That sucks. <laughs> Bad circumstances for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, now, um, uh, Barrett, you have questions. We'll go back to you. Uh, you go ahead. Oh, all right. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, let me go ahead. I didn't realize uh, it was my turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no worries, because we were just, you know, uh, following up with questions at that point. Um, now, now, uh, um, for for the for the book, um, I, how did you do this book? Uh, was it professionally made, or or was it low budgetly made by like you know just uh, from crafts? I mean, how did what 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 created it? Extremely it? low budget. Extremely low budget. Um, like <laughs> probably twelve dollars. How much for the book? Yeah, twelve dollars a book. So we, nine books. We went actually. We had done a, a test. Uh, sequence in animation you could find it it's called the no fear animatic preview that we had made and we found a book for that that was small and everything else and we had a lot of conversations about it it couldn't be big like the necronomicon it couldn't have a lot of text in it because then it wouldn't be combat ready as we would always say it's not combat ready it's got to have less less dialogue yeah. less stuff in it. so and actually pointed that out i think to us at some point so we're like okay you know what we should just have like five words on each page but yeah, and we worked it into the design. But basically what happened was we tried to hire somebody for it. They didn't really understand what we wanted. And I, I got that. That was not really, it was a failure of communication, but it wasn't also because we just had stuff we didn't even work out yet with that thing. So basically what happened was we bought nine books. Of Amazon. There's nine of them in the movie. You can't tell, hopefully. But there's nine of them in the movie that are shown on screen. And, uh, you know, because we had to keep clearing the blood from it, and then each one had its own purpose. Like, a lot of them actually are just designed for the one scene that they're, they're, they're made for, because the character had to bleed into it, and then it would seep through. So it was nightmares. So we had to make nine of them total before we started. But, yeah, Adam weathered them, because I couldn't weather them to save my life, and he did a great job on it. We, we also, like, sanded the outside of them. So this cost, like, you know, the price of the book on Amazon. You can buy something just like it right off Amazon. Yeah. Um, the inside front cover was done with pen, like just ballpoint pen, and uh, partially a stencil that the first artist made us. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, we went on the inside, and we conceived each one of the images based on its own storyline and its own creature, picked out the words for it, and then I hand-painted all of my drawings by hand because I really thought – that was like what Peter Jackson would do, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you know, so let's be authentic. And I, I think hopefully you can see on screen that it has that texture to it, that it was done the way that it would need to have been done in the movie, you know, with ink. So yeah, that was really how we did it. And we designed nine of them and hopefully you can't tell, but a couple of them were like glued shut on the outside, you know, like when it's just a specific purpose of, you know, Donald has to cut his hand and put his hand into it for that one time in the bathroom. That's like its own book. And there's like multiple tries within that book, which is really funny. There's like the Donald, you know, blood hand thing, but three times. So if he bleeds into it, okay, it's okay. Well, we have like one more shot, maybe another one. So that was how all that was done. You, can, you can't see the hot glue, which is right outside of the frame. That's like stopping <laughs> opening. Yeah, because we couldn't weather every page. We weren't that, you know, we didn't have enough time. Yeah. Do we have a copy here somewhere? I'm sure. Actually, we do. Yeah, it's right under there. Oh. Yeah, we can actually show it to you guys. I think it's right. One of them is like filled. One of them isn't. Uh, no. That's I think. This that's is actually. somewhat weathered. Yeah, I know. This is somewhat. There you go. 
There's also an instructions page that we had to create, which was separate. A lot of people, uh, I guess, maybe forget that's in the movie, but that's actually not part of the book. But yeah, we actually, there you go. Oh, there. Oh, cool. The one that I actually have kept is the one that has the most uh, demon pages in it. And it's never, it was never bled in by anyone. No. There was no blood in the movie on this book. But yeah, we went through a lot of detail. Uh, it's all in the beginning. It's no, like I know. The first there's eight pages. one that I like. Oh. Can't find it. I like them all, but. Is it the skull? Yeah, no, I like the skull, but, you know, you got some There you go. Yeah, we really went to. Oh, yeah. You want to show them that? Oh, like, yeah. go all the way up to the thing. Oh, yeah. There you go. We did oh, so yeah, many cool. like you know all of them have their own storylines to them and you know they were carefully done and you know it was it was wild I, yeah. I mean we were doing that like a month before like we and trying to do everything else we yeah no literally uh we we go to the dollar store you know pick up some you know instant coffee grinds put it into a, a paper towel and just started you know going yeah. at it and then uh, Jameson did a phenomenal job with the uh, with the drawings because I can't draw for the life of you know, my you. life. Yeah, and I couldn't weather it, so yeah. thank God he was doing it. Yeah, so it worked. <laughs> out. I mean, uh, I don't know why I couldn't figure out the weather no, to save my life. It was so weird. Yeah. It was like I just wouldn't click with me. No, and I, uh, in terms of art, uh, stick figures are the extent to my. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. No, and then uh, also there was no props team or anything, so. No. Oh, actually, you guys probably find this cool, but all the props in the movie were made by yours truly, yeah. and Adam and I designed it together. But the knife props, I mean specifically, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Most of the knives, most of the knives in the movie are like cardstock with yellow with silver tape on it, and they look pretty convincingly like knives. Um, they do. I think even the one where. Um, not to spoil this for you guys, but the one where Mia Davis stabs herself in the stomach—that's like totally card cardboard cardstock with uh, with silver tape on it, and mm -hmm. you just can't tell. But yeah, and you know, we had that one day with the stunt coordinator where he came yeah. in. The entire day was just shooting, you know, the knife sequence where Donald's, you know, getting stabbed. So we uh, we had to only use those knives, and sometimes it was a pain because you know, yeah, they get they look a little flimsy. Yeah, no, we, we had to figure that out. We, it's we, tricky, you know. Yeah. You can't really use real. Yeah, you get like the right angle, and right? You know, some of them had to be uh, what's it called? Blunt, blunted, blunted. Yeah, yeah. we had. A, a it's it's so thing. complicated. Some of the stuff that you just don't want to even deal with it, yeah. especially if you don't have a props team. No, and <laughs> I mean everything we had to do basically ourselves. And also, uh, you know, uh, what you see in the beginning, the with the with the other family was shot at the very last day, and so. We, uh, uh, Jameson and I, we did uh, all the blood and... Uh, yeah, we did the blood ourselves in that sequence. Yeah. That was like me and Adam just doing the blood. Um, oh, right, and like a million other things. Yeah, we, we pretty much did everything on the last day. It's crazy. And that one props bin that we had, we just brought to every scene. Like I, as the director, was holding it. I would, I had a list of props for the scene. And I would go, oh, okay, it's scene 52. I need these five things. And I would get them myself. There was no one else that would do it. Um, but yeah, that's how low budget we were. There was nobody else. <laughs> There's nobody else. Yeah. Well, with the success of this, you might be surprised. You might have bigger budgets coming. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. we wouldn't need much, just like enough to get a couple other people around. <laughs> yeah. We'll make like five of these movies that way. Yeah. That would be great. No, yeah. No, no. Sometimes <laughs> when it gets too big, it gets, it gets a little too confusing. Yeah, you big know, sets you know? are hard too. Big sets are hard yeah. because you got, yeah. you no, know, our first movie had like 18 people on set. And it's tricky. People just start when that happens. People just start fighting. That's what happens. And it's like it's like you feel like you'd be better, but you're not. <laughs> you're really not because like you know this guy doesn't like what that guy said to him three weeks ago. 
it's like as a director, you're like, all right, everybody, let's just chill out and like try to do the thing we're working on right now. But yeah, that's what winds up happening, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody just argues. <laughs> <laughs> Not much better, always. Yeah. What what's in the what was the, where are the plans for uh, your next movie? Because I mean, I don't know if you're going to do the prequel next, or do you just working on one or two things and then work on the prequel? Okay, so we we've actually been um, working for a long time prior to us knowing the reaction to this movie, uh, a horror anthology film. Oh. And we have four really cool stories. One of them's World War II uh, related, more in the vein of the fog. We have a found footage uh, movie that has to do with aliens, which is really cool. Um, and then we have an, another one that's more Lovecraftian uh, at the beach and uh, something that's a little bit in the vein of Psycho, um, but they can say the F word in it, which is cool. Uh, black and white. Mm -hmm. So we're working on all those things. Those scripts are done. And yeah. actually the movie's uh, cast already. We have all the cast ready and we're going to be doing them as, you know, shorts, basically two, three days at a time. Yeah. And we cool. just got our uh, location, which was great. We had good news from them. You know, so the so that's great. Yeah, and, uh, we're just you know making little tweaks maybe to the script here and there, but really we're I think you know no fear is, is done very well, and you know I think now we're gonna really just kind of devote our time to you know trying to get this thing off the ground, and yeah. it's a very small budget, extremely small. I'm it's, gonna be shooting the camera myself. Yeah. That's how small budget it is. Yeah, which is which is something I can do. I mean, we've done it a hundred times, but you know I wasn't the DP of this movie, thank God. But you know for this new one. It's something we want to do, and you know, it, it should be it should be interesting. It should be cool. We get to go to the beach. We get to go. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. To all these places. So. so yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're doing. Our second feature, you guys should know, was only done with four people, four people total, and that's nuts, nuts for the amount of shooting we have to do. But I was the sound guy, and Adam was the slate clapper. So that's two of the positions, and there was one cameraman and a lighting person. That's it. So for this movie, it was like a little bit. Like, oh, okay, well, at least there's a guy to go run and move that light, you know? So that was kind of the, yeah, you know, the vibe on this one, I guess. Yeah. Nice. Um, now, uh, the demon, demon, uh, uh, where did you get the, the special effects for that? I, I mean, it, you know, the uh, makeup, the, the, um, the long nails, all that stuff. Uh, how did you guys do that? Yeah, well, um, the, the makeup it was done by uh, Nicola Talley or... Um, um, makeup artist. She did a great job with the with the fingers. They look really good. Uh, also, the uh, the demon actually wears a mask, so what you got from the horror dome, and, and uh, they were very cool. We just you know we, we wrote them an email saying, look, you know we're doing a movie. We like this one mask. You know we'd like to have it in. What you know what's the process? They said just you know just give us a thank you, put us in the credits, and you're all good. And uh, and we just went with it. But also, I think with the concept of like the Lovecraftian thing and just you know using your imagination, we we gave him a veil, so you don't really fully see that mask, which is uh, it's an incredible mask, though. Yeah, I mean, true. we spent. I mean, we we put a good amount of money into the demon just itself. I mean, considering the costume, the, budget, the, the robes itself were the costume. Yeah, were we probably used the most uh, expensive labor, materials expensive and labor. And, and the girl who made it, uh, Imbar uh, Shankal, did a great job with it. And she really went off of our designs because it was it was too hard for her to design it. So we had to really work on it, every piece of it, with her. Because it was something that really only Adam and I could figure out over the course of time. It was strange, I guess, but that's how it worked out. Um, but, yeah, she really handcrafted that thing. 
Yeah. In the same way that we approached the book and the same way we tried to do everything in the movie, which was like it had something tangible to it. Um, we were happy that he's, you know, that Kevin said about Hellraiser because that's right. pretty yeah. much what we were going for. Um, but then to sink that into the shadows and you just feel that there as an audience was, mm -hmm. the, was the objective. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? Um, <clears throat> so I'm wondering who came up with the idea, the twist for the demon or demons as we might say, because it was pretty inventive. I, I think we both kind of came to it. I mean, if you look at the, the demon's name, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's um, back and you look at it backwards, it does mean twin in Latin. And uh, so we, I guess, you know, when, uh, when I don't know, really know how we came to it though. I, I think, I think it's like, we just needed a twist and uh, yeah, we, I think we were thinking about having a twist you know, and then we realized, okay, we can play around with the fact that, some of these things are not, you know, they don't really know if they're accurate the whole time. I mean, do we really know who's hearing one and who's seeing one? So, you know, they feel like they do. And we were lucky enough that the audience, you know, bought into, you know, or is buying into that concept in general. So we're like, if we can just take it another step further, what if they weren't able to hear the thing, you know, or perceive it properly? So we figured the easiest way to do that was instead of working with a visual motif that we'd have to show, we just have that we just are a visual issue or a visual contrast. Mm -hmm. It would be cheaper to talk about how it sounded differently. And the easiest way to do that was with pitch, uh, um, you know, just an immediate thing for the audience. But it could have been pulse. It could have been a lot of other things. But yeah, it was just a really indie way of figuring out how can you make something different than this. Okay, well, it obviously would sound differently. Um, and, you know, and there isn't a moment in the movie where Charlie does hear it on screen. We, we hear the two of them. And so hopefully that would sustain a multiple viewing that you go back and say, okay, he's actually seeing it right, or he's hearing it right there. And he just doesn't realize it. Yeah. But I just want to make one comment. So I, I think one of the technical things about the film that's really done well is you don't show until nearly the end, the demon, everything is kind of you know, subtle throughout until you get to that point. And I think it's the perfect point to introduce it. I just really, I liked that part of the film. Thank you. Yeah, that, that seemed like, um, you know, Professor Ambrosio's Horror 101 was like, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right. And what does that mean? What is what is horror films? <laughs> you know, like reading book on like, what is, what is horror film for me was like what I had to do. And but, yeah. But I think what Jameson really picked up on, and I'm remembering this, you know, going back, is that um, is that you wanted to really give the audience a sense of you know what the characters are going through with their own senses, you know. So if if everyone else can't see it, you're not going to really see it. You know, it's the same thing with you know Donald in the book, and we wanted the the audience to be almost like if there was a fourth sense that we put in, it would be for the audience, and so they would have to play that game as well. And they are playing that game. They're playing along with, uh, you know, with all the characters. Yeah. And uh, and I think, you know, just as, you know, what the classics told us, you know, a, a Carpenter, you know, everyone else, you know, is use your imagination, you build up to it and then get and, and then release it. But, it, you know, if I, if I see, you know, uh, you know, it's the same thing with aliens. You don't really see the, uh, the alien. alien, the first one. You don't really see the alien too much. You, you know, you're kind of left up. You don't. Like the scariest freaking yeah, movie exactly. ever made. Yeah, ever made. Yeah. In my opinion, awesome. 
I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think it's my fa- favorite horror film of all time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the imagining is the the slowly building horror is what I like the most, and this film does that well. Yeah, because they, I think of movies like Midsummer the same way. It feels that way as you're watching it. They're yeah. slowly turning, and all of a sudden, they're in this horrific position. Yeah, you know, and love it goes back to Lovecraft. That guy yeah. was an absolute genius. I mean, he's way out of his time. And I mean, what's the, the the fear of the unknown is really the greatest fear. And I think everybody really learned that lesson in Jaws. I think you know that it became a mass a massive audience that then understood that concept. Um, and that was really smart of Spielberg, but it was done out of necessity. But I think that was something that we really, um, you know, wanted to capture as well. Like, okay, this is our shot to make a horror movie. What does that mean? So let's look at like everybody's success of it or the things that weren't, you know. And also, there were certainly a lot of times I, I watched movies where they gave the demon away in in the first two minutes, and and it's it's frustrating when it's not when you could size it up in a fight. Like if I'm like, you know what, I could I could hit that thing. You know what I mean? And I, it would be done. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. Um, uh, so, you know, we tried to be careful with it and never, never give a, a sense of its scope or its shape. You know what I mean? It was, we wanted to try to have the audience not able to quantify that. And it's even too overwhelming for, for Mallory's character when she sees it for her brain to sort of handle it. Um, so that was also an interesting trick of trying to keep that. I mean, basically by all reasonable standards, this movie probably should show the demon because there's a character who can see it. But we wanted to still stick with she can see it, but you know, it's 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 difficult it's for her to perceive. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's Lovecrafty and it's maybe in different places and you know. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, you got a question. Uh, do you plan on working with any of these uh, actors again? Oh, that's oh, yeah. a good question. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, probably. We would probably most immediately run to work with Amy Carlson again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, Mia Davis too. I mean, I guess I guess any of them, sort of. But what I would say is, I don't know if Mallory wants to do another horror movie. Yeah, because she's true. done two, and she wants to kind of do other stuff. So she'd probably be off the table. Mia Davis is just so much fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, she hasn't really done that much work. I think that's the other thing that most people don't know about her or would be surprised about. This is like her first. This is like her first semi-leading role, supporting role. I mean, she's only done one other film, and I think she was like a real minor character in it. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, she's never really worked like this before. In a movie. Yeah. And she almost virtually carried a big punt. Uh, you no, know, she did. She she definitely uh, you yeah. know, came in with a, with a lot of weight to it. Yeah. So, I mean, we yeah we would in that in, in that sense, or yeah. if they if they even wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, making a horror movie is tough, man. I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how difficult it is to really. You know, it's for me, and I can relate this to my past directing experience of doing thrillers or dramas. It's like you're directing a movie, and then you're also directing the genre elements of that movie and how the actors then fit into that. That's tough because it's no longer a drama about people. You then have to deal with the supernatural element uh, as well. And that's tough. If you can't layer those two things at the same time and the actors can't or, or somebody can't, then it doesn't work. Yeah. So it, it's tricky. I mean, there was a lot of different conversations. Like we were telling another person who was interviewing us. There was a lot of times where I'm like, don't say demon in this scene because it just sounds so stupid. <laughs> and it's like, I wrote it myself or he yeah, wrote it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, don't say demon. I can't deal with it. And sometimes they get frustrated with me because it was in the script. Mm-hmm. But 
there's just times where it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Like how many times can you say demon and have an audience buy it? I don't know. All right. That's a fair point. Um, now I, I had a question about, uh, night filming. You, you mentioned, you know, uh, eight to, to four in the morning and all that. Um, I heard night filming is, is like one of the most toughest things to do. Uh, uh, how, how did you go up? Well, and, and again, even, even most of the house, it was a dark, you had a basement, you had r rooms that were, were, went out. I mean, the whole electricity goes out in the film, as we know. Uh, we, we even joked that we thought it was an EMP that was dropped by the Chinese or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> you know, because we had a long phones. discussion about that's that. Probably, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, well, the, the question I had was, uh, how difficult was it to, to do that type of filming? And is it as difficult as, many uh cinematographers say um you always yeah I, I guess there's like a lot of different ways you can answer that question i think the things that come immediately jump out at me was i was more frightened than anything of the neighbors calling the cops on us yeah because you guys have to realize like nobody knows i mean they know we're there sort of but they're not they're not like cued in or anything because you got to deal with police then and we don't ever try to do that if we can help it so that was like my anxiety the whole time. Besides making a movie, you're like, oh my God, don't scream too loud. Um, <laughs> so it's like the stupid thing you gotta worry about also when you're on this kind of budget. But yeah, I mean, what, what was challenging for the DP on this movie, um, Nick Petroniero, was that he was shooting into darkness. And it's very difficult to do that and have an audience buy it because you're dealing with a lot of bounce type lighting. You can't have direct lights. You can't have sources in the room. And it's it's difficult to make things look lit when they're not lit, you know, and that their eyes are just adjusted to it. Um, but, yeah, we watched a lot of movies. And there's certainly a lot of movies like even The Conjuring, if you watch it. And, you know, it basically is almost too dark on certain screens. So, and then, you know, we watched it with, you know, an older person that well, basically that? said we couldn't, yeah. they couldn't see it even. And we're like, yeah, you know, actually, that's pretty damn dark. Yeah. So, it, it's difficult to really find the balance of like what's bright and what's dark and how do you do indirect lighting. There was a lot of times where even scenes looked way too bright to us and we had already shot them. So we had to bring them down or throw them into a bluish hue. So they looked a little bit more moonlight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Because, you know, once anything gets what we call warm, you know, then it looks like sunlight or it looks like tungsten light, you know, indoor light uh, and really, Moonlight is more of that bluish hue. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of that, you know, calibrating even in post, you know, things that were just too bright. So it's difficult, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Barrett, what do you got? I think I'm all questioned out. All right. What about you, Kevin? Um, I had one more and it left me. Oh, um, when people know, you know, that you're writers, directors, producer, all that, do people come up to you and say, hey, I got a great idea for this movie. What do you think? I mean, do you get people approaching you like that? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, I, I get one, one of my friends who, who says, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I got this great idea. And, and he's like, I got this great idea. And I'm like. All right, can you write it down? He's like, uh, no, I just want to go over it with you. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to do anything until you write it down, man. And this is like twice a week, three times a week. So that's that's all I get. Yeah, like we're, we're, we're kind of, I guess we're sort of 
uh, touched when people do that. But at the same time, for us, it's like it means a, a whole hell of a lot different than somebody just saying, oh, wow, a movie. You know, to us, it like means like four years of pain potentially. So, you know, we look at things very critically for that reason. We have to look at it from a commercial business standpoint. You know, can we do another movie after this one if it's no good or something? You know, that type of deal. And, uh, you know, also, do we like want to spend four years on that concept? Or even just a year and a half is really, really fast in this realm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people do that all the time. And, you know, what's okay, what's nice about that, though, is people are gen generally very excited that we make movies. So that's nice. And uh, you don't really quite know what to say to those people because you want to tell them that it's like horrible most of the time. <laughs> but you don't really want to burst their bubble. So you're like, yeah, yeah. you know, we love it all the time. Yeah, and, and, and but if somebody gives us a genuinely good idea, I mean, we'll field it and consider, like, you know, doing stuff. We've worked with people in the past. Yeah. No, even, even this one friend that we're talking about, we put him in movies and stuff like that because, you know, he just loves movies. Yeah. And, no, and, and eventually we'll, we'll you know, because he has so much, you know, we'll, we'll do something eventually, you know, <laughs> a, short, a short film, a feature film. But, yeah, no, we're always we're up for, you know, up for any challenge and just, you know, open to different yeah, ideas. Things that we hopefully – we try to go by our own the barometer of what we would watch ourselves like if we wouldn't be caught dead watching it we don't make it period yeah. i mean you know if the pay is really good maybe we'll sort of think about it you know that, that makes a different thing but sometimes it, honestly everything about this business does come down to contacts but it also 100 percent comes down to people i mean we're at a point now where we can kind of figure things are out we don't want to bring anyone who's like basically for lack of a better word a, a jerk onto our set it's like, if you're an actor who's a jerk, like, we're not hiring you, period. And we've been there before, and it yeah. sucks. It sucks. It hurts the movie. It hurts us making the movie, too. So we try to just yeah. work with people we like. And if somebody brings us something that's, like, you know, half-baked, I guess, or they haven't even thought about it, but we like it, we'll do it with them. No, yeah. You know, yeah. if we like the person, I think that's the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's too much tension on the set to, like, if you're not good friends with people, sometimes it just gets too out of hand and crazy. Yeah. Do what you love. Do what you love, and if you don't, if you don't love it, like do not join this party, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just, it's too difficult. You know, you got to have people who are generous in, in their spirit, at least. Right. Um, yeah, I, I had a, had a, one more question too, uh, which is, um, I, I kind of alluded to earlier. You know, were you making a commentary on on um, the suburban family, or you know, any of those things? And again, you may have been just making the film as you know, oh, we have this cool idea, let's make this awesome film, and whatnot. Um, was there any um, hidden message or any message in the film that you were trying to um, propagate to, to the audience or, or at least have as like a, um, you know, hanging over the film in a sense? Well, I think there's a lot of different things we could say. Um, but I, if, you, if you're talking, well, yeah, I guess because we're specifically talking about no fear and, and, and what it is, I think... I think the, the the interesting message that even if you don't like horror movies that you could take from this movie is that communication matters. <laughs> and I think in a family, everybody is actually going through their own, I guess you could say demons, especially in this weird time period. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what makes this movie, I would think, very relatable to people. Um, and also sometimes fun. I mean, it seems like sometimes uh, even the people that we live with or that we love are, are like you know, experiencing something that we could never imagine. And I think that's something that's interesting and has always been interesting about No Fear. A lot of the horror comes from the fact that these people feel like they're not being understood by the person who's standing right next to them. 
And there's something more terrifying than that than anything in the movie. Um, so I think, yeah, there's something very human about that as we all want to connect with someone, but also the lack of that shared experience is something we're really feeling now during coronavirus. We can't share, you know, we can't share a movie together really in person. We can't hug people that we love and things like that. I mean, that's kind of opened all of our eyes into saying, you know, when you can't share a communication or experience, you know, there's something very isolating and um, and difficult yeah. about it. I mean, we are social creatures, and uh, you know, and just to, to feel that for people, I guess, you know, as as the characters, you uh, feel isolated. You know, some people do feel isolated. So that yeah, know, it's, it's about working together. At, you know, even when the odds are against you, and when you truly do not understand what the other person is yeah. dealing with, I think that's also just a, is speaking to you know, even it is difficult to make movies. It's extraordinarily difficult. It's like everything in life is working against you and now you're making a movie. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is really like that genuinely. So even just working like us together, I mean, we learned so much about it that I think this movie has a little bit of elements of is that you just, sometimes you're never going to understand the person, but you have to communicate with them. And uh, that's a lesson even in filmmaking, yeah. you know, or, or, or otherwise. Yeah. I think this and movie, even the, the pale blue, Pale Blue Dot, you know. That's also, you know, yeah. To, and, you know, there's a lot of people now who, who have a lot of problems, you know. But if you if you step back and look at how small, you know, we are and how small everything is, you realize, you know, your problems are, you know, are, you know, are, they're not even there. Yeah. You know? And yeah. It's how you deal with them. It's how you confront, you know, uh, these challenges. Really. Yeah. And Donald's lesson definitely is an important one. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it may not work, you know, well for them or whatever, you know, in the, in the movie. But, you know, it's that lesson, you know, and there's trial and error with them. So, yeah. And and when, yeah. And I guess really that, that, that is, yeah, I guess that really is a lesson. Communication and then and yeah. those other things. Now Gosh. I have another question. Go ahead, Barrett. Yeah. So when was this actually filmed? Was it filmed during the pandemic? This was filmed right before everything. Yeah. Uh, um, February, happened February 18th, 2020. Oh, so right then. Was it 20? Yeah, it was 2020. Right. No. Yeah. Because yeah. we're in March. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's been a year. It's been over a year. But, yeah. And then we had a large period of time where they haven't been, they haven't released it yet because they've been figuring out where to put it on the calendar of releases and things like that. And actually, I think they made a really great choice with this March yeah. date. So this has been about it's been a while, a year and a half. We, two. People on our set were talking. Actually, even Amy Carlson was talking about how there was a virus going around, and she had just come back from somewhere. And actually, our makeup girl came back from uh, a, a, another country, Thailand. So, Thailand, yeah. I think so. So it was kind of like we were living dangerously then. I guess yeah. you didn't realize. No, it. like they, you know, people when people were talking about the virus back then, you know, everybody was like, oh, okay, it'll you know, be it, fine, it'll be fine. But now it's not it's, here. Yeah, but now like people are like, oh, COVID, you know, who, who's got it? Who, it? It would have been. It didn't blow up. It would have been absolutely a nightmare if we had shot half of this movie. And I'll tell you something, and I can say this for a fact: there was one or two of these actors that wouldn't have been caught dead anywhere near this set if we had to continue shooting. And I can say that for yeah. fact, not just because of medical issues, but they just would not have gone. No, I mean, a horror movie is not important to them at this point. So. Yeah. What, what I'm what I'm saying really about this is that they, you know and I you know we couldn't have done it and even the people who have who have the house in the movie have just sold it actually so um, which has nothing to do with us <laughs> just to be clear <laughs> I hope at least but no um, it, you know so we would have never had this opportunity again 
And it was really a blessing. It was like an absolute blessing because nobody yeah. leaves their house for 18 days. And we got to also thank our, we got to really thank our investors yeah, because the really. people who came to bat for us were amazing. And there was one guy who said to us, I will put in the first monies for this movie, which is the most difficult monies to raise if you guys are doing a horror movie right now. So we're like, what? Well, actually, we've been working on a script for like two years and that was no fear. So he threw in for us and that put us on go because once we had that investor in, we had an obligation to get it done. So we really, really, really hustled like 24 seven until we got the yeah. financing, which was, you know, was difficult and, and everything else. And yeah. if we hadn't gone exactly at that point, we probably would not have finished the movie or we would have never made this movie. Yeah. Well, here's a funny story. Actually, uh, when we were meeting with investors, we actually got kicked out of a diner because we would sit there for two, three hours and just order coffee, having meetings. <laughs> they got so, so pissed. So, and, we, and, and the thing was, they got pissed at us because they're like, oh, you need to tip my uh, waiter more. And we gave the guy like eight bucks. We're like, what? We just ordered coffee. He's like, well, you guys were there for like three hours taking up the table. So, so but yeah. it was worth it, you know. We so, did it so, so we got kicked out of a diner just to, do know, it. Just, to just to have meetings with, you know, investors. And, and they were game for it. I mean, that was probably one of the hardest things you know, yeah, to, we really did traditional pitching. Like, I mean, you're sitting down with almost virtually a stranger, and you got to pitch yourself. Put a book about this. Yeah, thing, I know, mean, there's there was nothing us. easy about that no. um, at all. And I think people who are making films or want to make films have to get used to the concept of that very uncomfortable. You know. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. About do that. you want to do this with us? We're legitimate. It, it helps that we are legitimately. You know, we've done it before. Um, but it's just the same when you're staring at somebody who either doesn't have the time for this or, you know, whatever. It's, it's just like those kids that did Evil Dead. They would say, they would set up a projector in, you know, someone's store and be like, hey, do you want to do a movie with us? And they'd be like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, and actually, a lot of times we asked people if they knew somebody who would want to be involved with a horror film. And that's how we got some places. Yeah. And that, that kind of worked. Yeah. yeah. You know, to a degree. So, you just never know. You got to you got to just try it. Put yourself out there. Fail. Get frustrated and try, try again. Here. Try, try here. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, now, uh, before before uh, we let you go, uh, we want to know uh, where people can uh, find the film, uh, where they can find you, folks, uh, just in case they wanted to um, uh, meet you on social media because you can't meet in person, at least right not yet, and uh, all that great stuff. All right, so you can watch No Fear right now for all of you horror fans out there totally, basically for free with your Amazon Prime subscription. It's actually streaming on Prime, so that means there is no barrier to entry. There's no excuse. Just put it on your watch list and get to it. If you leave us a review, even more appreciated. You can also watch it on Tubi TV right now with just ads, which is also very cool, and you can do that without an account, which is even more amazing. You can also see it on Kings of Horror which I believe is up to 26,000 plus views. Mm -hmm. And then also on Watch Movies Now, with, and those two are with ads, and that's up to somewhere around 150,000. You can watch it with all your friends there, leave a comment, leave a review. It all helps us get the movie out there. And you know, hopefully tell some friends. If anyone wants to leave an Amazon Prime review of how they like the movie, it's a huge help to the movie's algorithm. So that's what we want to say. Can nice. it be purchased what about, in any way besides just being viewed? Can it be purchased? Yeah, can, like, is there a Blu-ray or is there, can you buy it on Amazon? We're working, working towards doing the DVD for the movie. Yeah. What's weird is that this actually a lot of, the, well, distributors are not taking DVDs as much because now they're made to order. So right. yeah, this yeah. distributor doesn't take DVDs. So we're going to have to go through a company probably called Allied Vaughn 
where they do direct to order DVD. So we're going to try to work on that soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, watch out for it. And uh, whenever it, it does come out on DVD or anything like that, uh, make sure you hit us up and uh, we'll, we'll put up a, a post on the Dark Discussion News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. So yeah, yeah, please do. Oh, yeah, uh, well, thank you so much. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the horror community, you know, so if you guys know any other people who want to have us on or talk to us, what we're trying to do right now is keep the ball rolling so our distributor keeps, you know, attention on us and things like that. So it's really, it's positive, anything we can right. do. So even if you guys know people that just have blogs and stuff like that, if you want to give them our information, like, please do, by all yeah. means, we will do everything and anything that's sent to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely do that uh, because, uh, again, the Dark Discussions News Network has over thirty podcasts on our network, and uh, I'm sure a lot of them would would gladly uh, have you guys on and, and yeah, talk about your film. We'd love to give so. that content to them because they can, they can use it. I mean, they use it on their social media, and they have a pretty big following, so it helps us every time we blast something out. Mm. Cool, cool. Now, where where can folks find? you're on uh, social media itself uh you know twitter instagram uh, any of those places facebook whatever you guys can look up our company because uh really that's how all of our social media is laid out it's film valor on youtube it's film valor on twitter and then film valor on instagram very easy to find we're all there with all of our movies and if you're a filmmaker it's actually very informative to you know how we've been on our journey the entire time making these movies so you can get a lot out of it especially as a young filmmaker yeah now, uh, does Fil Film Valor also have an email that folks can uh, email directly to you? Yeah, you can email us at filmvalor at gmail.com. Okay, and that's Valor is V-A-L-O-R, right? Yep, that's it. Okay, yeah, cool, that's good. So uh, hopefully folks will uh, uh, take a look at your film and uh, and maybe uh, let you know how, how it is, you know, that by catching you on Facebook or wherever and, and letting you know that whether they like the film or not. So, mm -hmm. yeah, appreciate your time for taking – uh, and coming on and stuff, uh, we, we, uh, we'll definitely uh, give out your information to the other podcasters on, on the network, see if they want to interview you. I'm sure they would. And um, anything else you guys wanted to promote? No, no, I think no. we just want to say thank you for having us on. You know, this is great. Yeah, thank you so much to all you guys. I mean, this is why we do this, you know, and to me it was it was even crazier journey because I wasn't really, you know, I had to get in. I had to learn about horror from the ground up. So I feel very welcomed, actually. You guys have all been so nice. And, and I, I, you know, I'm just happy when people said they had fun watching it. And we appreciate you guys taking the time with it. I mean, it's great and asking all these great questions. So thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. And, really uh, loved the movie. Yeah, it was awesome film, dude. As I told you when I interviewed you on on the uh, Leo's podcast, the Dorking, if this was a uh, a film from last year, I would have had it as a as a top ten horror film for sure. And and right now, it, it could possibly be a top ten for twenty twenty. It depends on what comes out, but it's it's a rock solid film. Thank you, thank you guys so much. Thank you, yeah. thank you. We appreciate it immensely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, appreciate it, guys. Take care. Right, I'll talk to you. you as well. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, that's great that they, they were able to join us. Uh, um, I think we all uh, liked the film a whole lot. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, they, they spent uh, a good amount of time with us. Uh, they really, really uh, enjoy uh, talking to the fans and whatnot. Uh, what do you have to say, uh, Kevin? Uh, it was a great – it was a fun conversation. It really was. They, they were really into it. They um, – they're they're kind of like the like I remember like when I was with uh, the Irish uh, community in, in Rochester, New York. It's like when I would meet some of the Irish musicians there, 
they kind of had the same, you know, appreciation of us because they realize is that it's because of us they have a job, you know, and it's like they they understand that we appreciate what they're doing, which um, which makes for a good relationship. And they were really happy to talk about what they were doing and really happy to to spend the time to a- ask the questions. So I. I really appreciated it. This was we were talking though. I looked it up, looked up some of the comments on IMDb, and there were only five com. There were only five people commenting, and only one really gave a good review. But I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, I'm reading some of these comments. It's like eh, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, what film did they see? Right, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's people. Some people were giving them a hard, giving it a hard time because it was low budget. And I'm thinking to myself, it was low budget, but it worked. You know, they they did it. You know, they did it well. And I don't know. I just I I don't know what these those idiots want. <laughs> right, right. No, and that really sums it up. It's. I mean, yeah. Uh, they, they readily admitted that it was low budget. I was talking to co-host Eric on the Dark Discussions podcast. He's seen the film, and he said it. And I said the same thing. Uh, he said the same thing as what we said, which is it. Um, it's it's a, a really great film. And especially what they were able to do with with the small budget they had. So yeah, that's that's true. Uh, excellent, excellent uh, point there, Kevin. Um, what about you, Bart? Any further thoughts? Oh yeah, they were great. They were very welcoming, and they they answered everything we asked them. And they're just a couple of fun guys that seem to be just doing some good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was doing an interview with uh, Leo on his podcast. Uh, um, we, we did the spoilers and maybe we should have asked if we could have talked spoilers because then we could have talked really about some of the awesome scenes. And so, uh, on that podcast, since we were talking spoilers, um, yeah, I, I was just like fawning over everything. I was like, like, dude, the, uh, the, the, uh, when the guy turns his head and it's just blackness behind him and, and the, the dummy in the basement, dude, this film was awesome. Yeah. So it, it was really a great film. Uh, and, uh, they, they, uh, they are great to really try to promote it. Now, uh, for folks who are curious, uh, once again, the great thing about this is is that you can you can obviously VOD it, you know, purchase it. I mean, um, you know, rent it wherever. But but um, Amazon Prime for sure, you can watch it for free, which is the, what they said. Which definitely get on that. But if you don't have Amazon Prime, uh, which is which. Who cares? Because you can actually watch it on, free on Tubi, and Tubi is a great service too. Uh, we use it a lot uh, here in, in my house. My my kids love it. They have a lot of great films, like the honeymoon phase uh, that me and Barrett uh, interviewed Chloe uh, Carroll uh, from from that film. Uh, you can you can watch it free right there on on honey um, on Tubi. So even if you don't have Amazon Prime, get Tubi and watch it. Tubi is a free uh, movie site that has uh, a library as big as Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh, the only difference is is that you, to, since it's free, they, they have like two, maybe two 30-second commercials in the middle of the movie at, at points, and that's it. So um, no, no, no Amazon Prime doesn't matter. You get it free on Tubi. So uh, everybody should definitely check it out. Um, all right, so... Uh, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, so I guess, uh, Kevin, why don't you lead us out? Thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, interview with the writer and producers of No Fear. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, listening to this, as much as we enjoy doing it. And stay tuned for next time when we do something else. 